The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I am so excited today to uh, step into an Easter message, and I will tell you that um, as a minister now, I've uh, I've been in, this is my 28th Easter as a minister, so it's it's been a lot of Easter's, right? And um, I haven't always loved Easter, to tell you the truth, to be honest with you. I'm a little bit of a rebellion spiritually. I always have been. I was, uh, I, I've, I've been wondering a couple times throughout my life, what's a nice science of mine girl like me doing celebrating Easter? Because <laughs> I wasn't always sure where Easter fit in for me in this teaching and tradition, where we're not a traditional Christian faith, while we revere and love the teachings of Jesus, and we teach from the Bible, we, we also hold the cosmic Christ and the, the mystical and metaphysical notions of the teachings of Jesus in our hearts. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, used to say that Jesus was the great example and not the great exception. And so we seek to, to live a life as he lived. And that really resonates for me and did when I found this teaching. Prior to that, I was six years old and had uh, decided I wanted to go to the Christian church in my hometown of Salida, Colorado, because a little friend was going there. And I loved community. I loved church community. But I wasn't always sure about the message I was hearing, even at six years old. And then when we moved here to Denver, my father took us to the Catholic Church. So we ended up at St. Anne's in Arvada. And I was, uh, I had my first communion and, and I went through the, the process and I was in catechism. And again, I was always a little bit hesitant. It didn't always ring true for me. And I blessed people that it did ring true for, but it didn't ring true for me. And so being the kind of spiritual rebellion I was when I got into my teen years, I began to do the thing you're not supposed to do in catechism, which is ask questions. <laughs> I was very caught up in the, in the notion of the human aspect of the man Jesus and the human experience that he had while fully acknowledging his spiritual connectedness to all life and his oneness and saw him as the human and the divine. My catechism teacher did not agree with me on that at all. And then I began to be obsessed with the notion around Easter that Jesus died for our sins. And I began to say to her, if Jesus died for our sins, then why are we so obsessed with our sins? And why do we have to confess our sins? I thought he died to remind us that we should go forth and sin no more. And she didn't really have much of an explanation for me on that one. And, um, and I was invited to leave catechism. <laughs> and so I did. <laughs> and I remember walking home that day going, oh, well, I wonder where I belong now. Because I feel this deep spirituality, but this rebellion in me and this kind of, this open I, to questioning and wanting to question more. So it seemed kind of sacrilegious. And even my favorite Easter joke could be considered a little sacrilegious. But do you want to hear it? Yeah. 
my favorite Easter joke is that in Sunday school one day, the teacher was teaching the children about the, the gospel teachings around Easter and about the whole message of Easter and the resurrection. And so she, she was kind of querying them about the gospel. So she said to the class, okay, class, when they rolled away the stone and Jesus came out of the tomb, what did he say? And of course, little Johnny, well, it's always little Johnny, so I think in honor of my sweet husband, I'm going to say little Kenny raised (laughs) his hand, and the teacher said, okay, little Kenny, what did Jesus say? And little Kenny stood up proudly and looked around at the class, and he said, he said, (laughs) ta-da! That's my favorite Easter joke. I'd probably get kicked out of catechism all over again for that one, but luckily not here. And that is indeed what happened a few years later when I found this teaching. One of the things that appealed to me most, especially as a teenager, is that we were allowed to question in this teaching and to... to to debate and discuss and to to talk to each other about what do you think this means and what do you think that means. And that, plus the fact that this teaching really resonated with my soul's need to remember love and oneness, which I felt was really the message of Jesus, brought me square into this teaching and have been here ever since. And I have looked for meanings through Easter in many Easter talks and many Easter celebrations myself. And this year, found myself really called to reading a lot more than I have in my past Easter messages. I read all the Gospels pertaining to this story. I I read a number of books and stories. I read some historians' view of things that were happening. I watched a a documentary on Netflix with the the star from the... um, from the Downton Abbey series on it. I did all sorts of things in the past few months to really find what felt for me like the the cornerstone of what is the message of Easter. And I found, quite honestly, that there are lots of directions one can go with this. The life of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the, the experiences that he had were powerful. But it is in these final steps of his ministry, through his death and resurrection, that there are profound lessons available for us. And for me, it begins clearly in the dance of life, in the awareness that we get to have as human beings of the constant death and resurrection that occurs in your life and my life on a daily basis. Right now, in this moment, there are cells in your body and my body that are dying away. And there are cells that are being born out of the light and the consciousness of the body temple. Right now, there are probably conditions and circumstances of your life and mine that are falling away and a newness is being born. Here in our Mile High community, we've just been going through that process as our wonderful senior minister of 25 years, Dr. Roger, retired and stepped away and a new ministry that isn't just about me and Reverend Josh, but about our entire community is birthing itself into a new experience. We are in the death and resurrection process constantly. And it seems to me 
that one of the first lessons, the first opportunities that we can take from this walk that Jesus took on behalf of all humanity is to understand that as a human being walking this earth plane, we have all of the spiritual resources necessary within us, in our consciousness, to deal with the constant death and resurrection. But what happens to us is that we can get stuck. And so the first lesson that I see that, is, that may seem elementary to us is the need for us to be willing to accept change. That change will occur. From the most minute little changes that are occurring in our body and in our life to the big changes of, of people stepping away and, and stepping off the earth plane into the new planes of existence and all sorts of change and transformation. And while we might say, well, yeah, I'm an adult. I understand change happens. Our experience can be very different than that. We can find ourselves in resistance to change on a very profound level. And so the message, the teaching that's available to us is to learn to accept change. Now, because I think this is so, so elementary to many of us, it dawns on me that one way to illustrate how I think this can trip us up is that in our teaching, our founder, Ernest Holmes, used to say something that we repeat still today, which is change your thinking, change your life. And in our teaching, we do a lot of work to help people understand the technology of of just how to change my thinking so that I can change my life and have a new experience. But how that often plays itself out in our lives is change my thinking, change my life. Change my thinking, but don't change the order of the service. (laughs) Right? Change my thinking but don't rearrange the aisles at my grocery store. (laughs) Change my thinking, but don't change my skin as I age. (laughs) Change my thinking, but don't let anyone leave my life. And sometimes what happens is that we begin to have changes that don't get fully processed. We don't walk through them entirely, and therefore we get stuck in resistance. And we become resistant to change at every level and grumpy about it and unwilling to change it. While all the while, something in us yearns for a better life, yearns to transform the conditions of our life possibly, yearns to bring our dreams into manifestation for ourselves, yearns to see a world that can serve humanity in a better way. But the thing is, we don't get to have it both ways. We don't get to, on the one hand, have a deep, profound message inside of us change is bad, and then say, I want to have my dreams come true. Because those two energies push up against each other and they cannot work for us. We must learn to accept change at the most profound level. As Jesus did as he walked this earth, We see time and time again as he listens to a deeper voice that calls him to change and accept change and to call forth change in the people who followed him as he showed them the way forth. 
And so when we accept change, what we begin to find is that in this day and age, and indeed possibly in every day and age, we humans have to step into transformational mastery. We have to learn to transform masterfully. We have to get a master's degree, literally, as a human being in transformation. And now when I say accept change, I do want to say loudly that I understand and have experienced myself some changes that were deeply difficult, challenging The most profound one is the change that Jesus is showing us through the resurrection, which is suffering and death. Profoundly difficult for us to experience and watch a loved one pass on or watch a loved one suffer or to watch as other people on our planet do this. And I am not saying and do not believe for one minute that the message of this teaching in any way says that if I accept change, then as those things happen, I go, oh, well, it's just change, fiddle-dee-dee, no big deal. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an acceptance that allows us to to walk forward through the transformation that life is calling us to experience. And we know it's calling us to experience it because we're in it. We're in it. And so our soul, our essence is saying, your way through to create more light in your life is through this change that you're in right now. And therefore, there's some work to be done. When I find myself in resistance, I find myself setting an intention always to be accepting of change because I understand that to be a a person who is transformational in my life and on behalf of others, I have to accept and dance with the movement of change and transformation as it occurs. And while it's not always easy, part of the journey is to understand that when changes and transformation come up that are difficult for me, then I have work to do. We know from the story in the Gospels that this even happened for Jesus. It appears as though he consciously and purposely was setting forth on his course that last week of his life. He comes into Jerusalem during a time when it's Passover, and the city's population has at least tripled in numbers. It was very crowded, very busy, and bustling. There was a lot of tension between the Roman guard and the people, And there was a lot of tension between the Pharisees and the people. And he shows up with his band of people following him, and he's not secretive at all. He shows up and he preaches loudly about his own thoughts, and he preaches out, sometimes appearing to be preaching against them. He goes into the temple, and he has a temper tantrum about what's going on in there, the money changers that appear to be ripping off the people, and he gets mad and he he, he apparently pushes over tables. And so he was not silent. He was making his presence known. And then he walks forward in the next few days and goes into the Garden of Gethsemane with his, his disciples. And he says to a few of them, he knows that the guard is coming to get him. And he says to them, come and be with me. Please come be with me. Now, the, the gospels, the two gospels who show, who show us this story, say he said he was feeling sad and he was feeling tempted. Now, I'm guessing, just guessing, because it doesn't say for sure, that he was feeling sad about what he knew he was facing and that he was tempted maybe to run 
tempted to not take the path that he knew life was calling him to. And so he asked them to stay with him. And they fell asleep. And he kept going to them and saying, hey, won't any of you be here with me? I'm going through a challenge. Won't you stay awake with me? And they kept sleeping. Now, the Gospels do say that it, it, at that point, he said to God, please take this cup away from me. I'm not sure how they know that. If the guys kept falling asleep, the disciples, <laughs> it's not like he was tweeting it or something, you know. But the Gospels say this. And to me, this shows that even the master teacher faced these moments of transition and, and, and challenge like you and I have, and had a moment of, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. And so I am not saying that when we are faced with our transformational mastery moments, that we do so with a la-di-da attitude. I'm suggesting that we have support. That what we understand is is that resistance rises up in us. The fear rises up in us. The the fear and need to possibly even run from the transformational journeys that we are on, that an opportunity exists to pay attention and to say, it's time for me to get some support. It's time for me to be in community. It's time for me to take a class, get a group, talk to a friend. For me, cry, to journal, to, to get support from my practitioner, to call my mommy, to do what will support me best, but always, always with an intention to move through into acceptance. After years of working with people who I have watched walk through some of the most powerful, challenging moments as a minister, I've noticed that the people who live in a state of, okay, this is what's so right now. This is what's so right now. I'm not in denial. I'm not pushing it aside. I am walking through it and I'm feeling what I'm feeling through it and I'm acknowledging what's going on and I am moving to a place of acceptance so that I can take the next step forward There is power. Unfortunately, what happens to many of us is that we get stuck. We we get angry and judgmental and sad and bitter and we grieve and we don't do the work necessary to support us in moving forward through the changes and transformations that life has called us to. And then what happens is they continue to happen, which they will Every one of those is like a stick that pushes that wound and makes it even more challenging for us. And so the question always becomes in that moment, am I going to get bitter or get better? Am I going to get bitter or am I going to get better? And the better part is the journey that Jesus showed us even in his death and resurrection. He said to walk this path of transformation, even though something in us may have to die. Something in our awareness may have to die. An old belief may have to die. An old idea may have to die. An old dream may have to die. An old image of our our body may have to die. An image of our relationships may have to die. Something may have to die in us. But if we walk through that, those steps consciously, then we become ripe for the next step 
of being the resurrection. What happened when the physical body of this man died is that all of the accounts say he rose from the dead. He reappeared to his disciples He in his light body and said, I told you I would be coming back. Here I am. I'm here. And some of them were shocked and some of them were scared. But they saw that there was life beyond death. And that is one of the key messages, a rising up beyond that which appears to be death. But I also believe that what he's talking about is that that is the truth of us in the transformational journeys of our life. That every time we walk those steps through into the next phase of our life, through the transformations we are in, what becomes more available to us is light, the light of the divine. And we begin to hear the, the, the voice inside of us that is guiding us, that supports us. We can't if we're in resistance. We can't if we're just resisting. No, 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 no. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. This is not happening. It's not happening. We can't change. We can't have the transformational experience. But when we surrender to it, we can become the resurrection, which is our evolutionary journey towards greater and greater light for ourselves and our planet. Because every time one of us does this, we contribute just as Jesus did. He knew that he had to take these steps for his own transformation and for the transformation of humanity. Uh, One of the books that I love that I've been reading is called The Universal Christ by Franciscan priest Father Richard Rohr. And Father Rohr says, people of the light will quite simply reveal a high level of seeing both in depth and breadth, which allows them to include more and more and exclude less and less. When we step into this light, this is something we are all craving, isn't it? We want a world that includes more and more. It means we have to become that. We have to become that resurrected version of ourselves as we age, as we go through various stages of life, as we have challenges come forth. It's a constant invitation to evolve into the resurrected state and to see and sense the faith that we can have in that light that is within us. Father Rohr says also, in the resurrection, Jesus Christ was revealed as the every man and every woman in their fulfilled state. This is what he called us to, the true spiritual fulfillment. Sometimes it can seem as though it's challenging, that it's it's a burden to transform on behalf of my life and on behalf of the world. But in actuality, every time we do it, we contribute so greatly to the whole of that transformational resurrection energy, that it's amazing. I heard Reverend Carol Wilkie speak recently, and she she shared a story. I'm going to invite her to come forward and Reverend Josh Reeves to come forward too to share with us a couple of, of readings that I think pertain to this. Reverend Carol, would you share your story you shared recently? So Greg Braden has a great video called The Five Modes of Prayer, And in it, he talks about a couple studies done in prayer. In 1972, 24 U.S. cities were used to conduct an experiment where people were trained 
to pray, they were trained and coached to pray in a very specific way to feel the feelings of peace. And then they were put in these 24 cities that had populations of over 10,000 citizens. During the time that these people were feeling the feelings of peace, beyond them, beyond the immediate buildings that they were in, they noticed that there were statistically measurable reduced incidents of violence, of crime, and of traffic accidents. So this then led to another study done in 1988 that was... documented in the 1988 Journal of Conflict Resolution, and it was called the International Peace Project. And in this study, they actually documented a mathematical formula which determined the number of people statistically required to jumpstart the effect of peace. The minimum number is the square root of 1% of a given population. So if we take Denver, for example, with a population of 5.6 million people, 1% of that would be 56,000. The square root of that is 240 people. That's the number of practitioners that we have here at Mile High Church. (laughs) That is the minimum number to effect peace. And so if we take our world of 7 billion people, that number is only 8,400 people. That's all that's required for us to feel the feelings of peace in our hearts for peace to be present. We have this unique and amazing ability and power to affect transformational change. Yes. And our, our founder, Ernest Holmes, said in his last major sermon entitled The Sermon by the Sea, he said, find me 1,000 people in the world who know what religious science is and use it and live it as it is, and I'll myself live to see a new world, a new heaven, and a new earth here. There is a cosmic power wrapped up in a cosmic consciousness and purposiveness that is equal to the vision which looses it. What I am saying is this. There is a law that backs up the vision, and the law is immutable. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. There is a power transcendent beyond our needs, our little wants. Demonstrating a dime is good if one needs it, or healing oneself of a pain is certainly good if one has it. But beyond that, at the real feast, at the tabernacle of the Almighty, in the temple of the living God, in the banquet hall of heaven, there is something beyond anything that you and I have touched. Find 1,000 people who know that and use it, and the world will no longer be famished. How important it is that each one of us, in a simple way, shall live from God to God, with God, in God, and to each other. Yes. Thank you, Ernest Holmes. I'm I'm glad Reverend Carol had the math reading. Yeah, me too. That's why I gave it to her. (laughs) But this math... 
I'm calling soul math. That we get to understand that we make a difference. That our transformational journey makes a difference. That right here, right now, there are more than 240 people in this room. And that if we make a concerted effort today on Easter to be ye transformed by the renewing of our mind, it matters. You matter. Your journey matters. We matter together. And when we embrace our resurrection and our light, we can change our world. That's what the Easter message says to me. That's what I'm up for. That's what Mile High Church is up for. And we thank you for bringing yourself to this message and to this holy, sacred work, however it is that you do it. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720 230 1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.